Your friends laugh and the crowd cheers and you ask yourself, where am I? Hi, my name's Luke, and this is To Taste the Smell of Blue. In this episode, we're talking about absence. Absence is defined in a couple of different ways. It could be the state of being away from a place or person, uh, an occasion or period of being away from a place or person, or even the non-existence or lack of. And with these definitions in mind, it can cover a very vast ground of things, but as we progress in the episode, I want you to think of absence as not just a physical being or presence or lack of presence, but also a state of mind. So, first, physical absence. Aspect of not being there, not being present in a place. And that comes in a couple of different ways. It's you can, that can be absent, someone else can be absent, and something can be absent. So, let's start with if you're not there, if you're the one who's absent. This can be birthday parties, weddings, celebrations, school, work. There's a lot of ways that you can be absent from things. There's a lot of things you can be absent from. And some of them don't dwell on you as much as others. You can be absent from your house at a night. Maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're with a friend or something. And that isn't going to really weigh on you as much as different absences might. For instance, if you're a parent and you're absent from one of your children's birthdays, that weighs on you a lot. And that can definitely affect you differently than just being gone from your house for a night. In the terms of school and work, you can be gone and you can lose money because you aren't working as many hours as you normally would have. Or you can develop things such as attendance finals or excess work because you've missed certain classes. Then there's things like missing friends, missing a get-together, missing hanging out with someone. And for whatever reason that happens, it can definitely weigh on you in its own unique way. You can feel like you're absent from a friend group if these continue to build up if you miss multiple gatherings of your friends. And that can definitely make some separation from you and just society as a whole if you start to become or you start to develop a feeling of separation between you and your friends that's going to make you feel more separated from society as a whole because we, as much as we don't realize it our friends are really a sounding board from from us to society to everybody else it's a way that we express ourselves in terms of the people who you hang out with usually have a connotation about them with the rest of the world or at least the rest of the community for instance if you hang out with people who listen to a certain type of genre of music then it's going to show and express who you are and what you like and the things you do differently than if you're with a different genre of music. For example, kids who listen to heavy metal are definitely classified a little differently than people listen to classical music. Um, and this can definitely make it feel weird or create a certain disposition when you're not around those people. People may think that you're a bit more separated from them and might not go about you the same as you, they would if you were with those friends more often. It's a little hard to explain, but I hope you understand. And if you don't, feel free to email me. Perfectly fine. Then there's things such as someone else not being there, someone else not being present. And that can feel weird. 
if you ask someone to your birthday party and they don't show and they don't tell you why, that's going to feel really awkward. It's not going to feel good, per se. And depending on the friend, it can really hurt. And if that ever happens to you and no one gives you a reason on why they're not there, I highly encourage you to go and talk to the person and approach them about it. Be a little proactive with that. Don't let it sit and just smolder and put it inside the little jar in your head that you keep thoughts you don't want to share with people. No, go and express that. Find the answer. Find peace of mind with that. Because it does hurt. Again, with birthday parties, if your parent wasn't there, if your parent wasn't wasn't present at your party, if they were absent on that special day for you, it's going to hurt a lot. And if there's no explanation given, you should probably go and find one. Maybe it's a good explanation, maybe it's not. And what you do with that information is up to you. But regardless of who's absent, for whatever reason, there should at least be a reason. Then there's something not being there. The absence of not a person, but just an object. If you're going to go and watch a movie and they didn't have the film for it, that'd be pretty weird. But more simpler things can happen. If you're going to go to a potluck and someone didn't bring food, you might feel a little against them, a bit of uh, upsetness when interacting with them because they didn't bring food like everybody else. It's a very basic example, but this can develop into deeper aspects in us that we don't realize. You see, we hold on to things like this, and we can count them up in our our heads. If you're in a group project with someone for school or for work, and someone doesn't do their part, what their job is, what they were responsible for, isn't there, that's absent, you're going to be pretty upset with them, and it's going to affect how you interact with them for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month. It could be the rest of your life, depending on how serious it is. So we got to be understanding that. we got to be able to understand why it wasn't there. And if it's a good reason, give some leeway. But if it's not a good reason, oh, yeah, throw them up the flagpole. Do what you got to do. But always try and seek that understanding of why something isn't there. Because we can't just sit and feel upset because something's absent. We can't feel depressed about it without a reason. Like, I want to say... I don't want you to feel upset about things. I don't want you to feel depressed about things. But if there's a reason, there's a reason. There's something you can really do about that. But start to develop a bit more peace of mind with the understanding that you get. So concluding this part of physical absence, physical absence isn't just you not being there. It could be someone else not being there, something not being present. And we need to be able to understand why things aren't there and... Once we understand the reason, then we can start to put judgment into it. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to feel about things when you realize why things aren't there, but I truly, I honestly beg you to look for understanding, to be able to develop understanding about these things, especially if it affects you personally or deeply. I don't want you to be out there being a uh, casuist because that can be very, very negative for you and the people around you. And that's uh, a person who has the right end goal, but the wrong means of going about it. So let's try and avoid that as much as we can. First, seek to understand what things are. 
then reason out what you're going to do about it. Go do it. I hope you understand that. Uh, after this little brief explanation of physical absence, let's move on to mental absence. This is part that I really feel we don't understand as well as we do other things. Mental absence is not being mentally present or conscious to the situation around you. If you're having dinner with friends and you look out the window and you start to kind of daydream and drift away from the conversation and the people and kind of go into your own little place in your head, that's being mentally absent. This happens anywhere at any time to all of us. We've all done it before. It's a daydream. It's a random thought that pulls us away from a conversation or a lesson. And it's not bad. It's not bad. Mental absence can be one of the greatest tools we have, but it's also one of the most uncontrollable tools that we have. Mental absence can be hindering the sense of you can miss something important in a conversation or in a lesson, or someone's trying to teach you something or show you something. You can miss a very important step of it and ask them to repeat it, which makes you feel burdenous, and we covered that last episode. But it's not bad. It can be really helpful. For me, a lot of times, how I find the ideas of what I want the topics of these episodes to be about is when I'm in a mental absence. A lot of positive ideas for me come from mental absences. A lot of times that I feel a personal revelation in my beliefs or when I realize a part of who I am comes about in these mental absences. And oftentimes they are instigated by a conversation that I'm having at the time or a lesson that I'm learning or a place I'm at. Mental absences are caused by, commonly caused by, where we are presently, what we're doing presently, uh, where we are at the time, our, our physical state of being. And that affects our mental state of being. Mental absence has affected me a lot recently, as I've said before, with the ideas for the episodes with personal ideas coming to be. And I don't want to forget them, so I started writing them down. And it's really changed my life for the better. I, I read over the journal I've been keeping about these uh, a couple days ago. And a lot of things that I wrote down as predictions came to be true, and it was kind of freaky. But it also goes to show that the understanding that I've been able to develop for who I am, where I am in my life, the, the situational awareness for me, has greatly benefited me and helped me ready myself for what's to come. And for that reason, I can't help but promote the idea of this for others. I, I strongly promote you to be aware of when you daydream, when you kind of drift away in your thought space, and the ideas that you feel like you should go tell someone that feel important, go and write those down. Maybe you want to keep it a secret. You don't have to show anyone or tell anyone. Maybe you want to go talk to people about it. Go and do that, but try to not forget them. In your thoughts, in your thought space is what I like to call it, your imagination, the, the vast, infinite world of imagination. You can explore so much of it, but you can only remember so little. You're limited to your memory of your thoughts. That's how you can have a dream and not remember any of it when you wake up. So when you do have these thoughts, I don't want you to lose them. I want you to write them down and be able to share them with the world. 
but don't let them drag you away from things. As a 16-year-old, I'm pretty old. And I mean that in the kindest of ways for older listeners. But my body isn't the greatest. I have a lot of joint problems. I have arthritis in my feet. And I'm getting a little bit of achiness in my joints with my hands and my elbows and my shoulders. But also, the way that I act with people, I am labeled as the parent of most friend groups, as a a grandfather and uncle for most groups. And I feel a lot of disconnect with my generation. I was having dinner with a couple friends recently. I was actually going out on the town with them. And we were eating, and I looked out the window of the booth we were at. And I just got lost in my own head. And I didn't know what the conversation was about then. I totally forgot where I was and the things I was doing. And I just lost myself in my own thoughts. In hindsight, when I looked back at it, I wasn't trying to escape anything. I wasn't trying to get away. I wasn't meaning to. But I needed a break. I needed a break. I couldn't keep up with these kids. I couldn't keep up with kids my age. And that was scary. The the realization of my mental absence brought me to the realization of I need to slow down. Mentally, I'm aging too quickly, and... That's definitely not a good thing. I mean, hell, I'm, I am 16. I'm in high school. There are so many things that I need to be more aware of to enjoy. A lot of firsts yet to come in the next couple of years. And I don't know why, but for some reason it just feels that I'm going to get those eventually, but just not today. Some of them feel like they've already happened, even though they haven't. And that, that for me is a scary thing. I don't want to be an old 16-year-old. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel good. But I can't control that. No, no, I'm lying to you. I can absolutely control that. I can be aware of my mental absences. I can be aware of when I feel too old and get over it. I can tell myself to get over it. And I can get over it. So, let's talk about how to do that. Now that we know that it happens and it's okay to be mentally absent, we know where our head is, if we can realize where we are mentally, whether it is present with where we are and what we're doing, or if it's not, we just have to become aware of that and decide if it's good or bad. Then we can see where we should be. Again, for my example of having dinner, I realized that I wasn't present in the conversation or with the people around me, and I tried to pull myself back into the conversation, back into the meal, so I could be more present with them. That's where my mind should be at that time. But how do we help people when we see this not happening? How do we help someone who is mentally absent, for better or for worse? Because we won't know. We won't know if they're being off of their own head, thinking about something good, something that'll help them, or something bad, something that's really taking them away, making them depressed, making them upset, something that's not healthy for them to be thinking about. We can't decide that, but we can talk about it. We can talk about it, and we can share the experience with them, and we can help them either continue to think about something and create new revelations on it and more concrete beliefs on it, 
or we can help them step away from a bad thought or a more negative idea, a more negative absence, and pull them back into physical life, where they are presently in their present being. To do this, we need to first realize if someone is mentally absent. And to do that, look around, be aware. Are they part of the conversation? Are they making eye contact with people? Are they looking around the people in the group? Are they actively trying to join in? Are they adding anything to the conversation? One thing that is really helpful for me is to see people's feet. You'll know that someone's wanting to be in a conversation if their feet are pointed towards the speaker or towards the people they're wanting to pay more attention to, if that makes any sense. But just look at their feet. Because if someone's foot is aimed towards an exit or away from a group, they don't want to be there. It's a dead giveaway that they don't want to be there. They want to be absent, not just mentally, but physically. So if you see that happening, you have two options of either get that person away from that group, allow them to leave, allow them to be comfortable with that, or you can try and pull them into the group, pull them into the conversation, make them feel more welcome and more apt to be a part of it, be a part of whatever you're doing with whomever you're with. If you see someone's legs are crossed, you'll know that they want to be there for a little bit longer. If you see someone's legs are spread, it means that they want to be more dominant in the conversation or in the activity. If you see someone be more closed up or uptight, then maybe they just, if they're strict in that case, then they're paying attention. They want to be there. They want to be a part of it because they're showing proper posture. It usually means they feel important in the conversation. Let that person be. But if someone's sitting closed and hunched or closing in on themselves, almost collapsing in a sense. Talk to them. They might be someone who doesn't feel good in big groups or who just doesn't want to be there and just wants to, in a sense, disappear. If you see that, pull them away from the group or the activity or the conversation. Have a little one-on-one -on -one with them to help them feel comfortable and help move on with the group if they want to continue to be with the group. Help them leave if they don't want to be there help with what they want. But if they are closing in on themselves in terms of posture and stance or how they are presenting themselves, pull them aside, get them out of there, and go on from there with what they want. Now, the hardest part of all this isn't onto you to try and help them. It's onto them to share with you. If you're the one who's being helped, it's on to you to help others help you. Like I said earlier, we don't know if what you're thinking about is good or bad. We don't know if you want to be having that mental absence or not. We don't know if you want to be getting away from the group or not. So you have to tell us. You have to be more honest with us. It's not just being asked, how are you, and saying you're okay or you're good when you're not. Be honest. Right now, I'm feeling tired and groggy and, pardon my language, but honestly, pretty shit. Uh, I've been away from the school a lot, and I have a lot of homework to make up, and I honestly shouldn't be recording this right now, but it helps me get peace of mind. 
That doesn't always happen when you talk to someone. So, share. Understand that it's your responsibility to help you get help. We can only do so much until you start to play a role in it. And it really hurts when you try and help someone and you get stonewalled. But you can tell that they're in some sort of need and they're in some sort of distress. And it just spreads this negative air around the room, around the group, around people trying to help you. The thought of one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. It's not just in terms of your demeanor, of whether you're being a bad person or not, douchey if you would. It also is if you're feeling depressed and you're not going to share why and let people into that, it drags everybody down. It's a very negative thing. So again, to how we help people who are doing that, share your aspect of it. Share your take on it. Share something to you that feels applicable to them. If you start to share, then they're more inclined to share. And once they do, you have to treat that with so much happiness. You have to reward it. You have to be over-exaggerating about it. I find one of the most subtle ways to be able to do this, though, is if someone tells you that they've done something recently or that they're doing something and it's good, tell them that you're proud of them. Give them gratification from you to them. Not just to, if it was a sports thing, not just to the team, but to them specifically. We as humans love gratification and attention. And if it's given directly to us by name, it means so much more than if it is to who we're affiliated with. The more direct you can make your gratitude, the more it will affect that person for the better. So when you're trying to help someone come out of their shell and share, start slow. Step one. Create a relation for anything, whether it's where you are, what you're doing, something you like. Create that relation, create a connection with them, no matter how small. And that's step two. Step three is to start to tell them about you, and you start to share. When you do that, try and make it as closely related to what you want to know about them as possible, because it creates a natural linear progression in the conversation to do so. Step four is to ask them to contribute to it. Find a way to get them to add their thoughts on it, whether it's commenting on what you've said previously, or it's them adding their own story or their own take on something, their own accomplishments. And then step three is to give gratification. Step five, my goodness, step five is to give gratification for that. Make them feel good for sharing. Because sharing will never be a bad thing. Now there is one question that I have for you, dear listener. Once someone shares these thoughts with you, what are we supposed to do with that? Do we throw it into our jar in our head that we don't tell anybody about and just sit on it for the rest of our lives? Or is there a way that we can share it with others? 
If it's a secret, then of course we can't tell people, but there's a need to at some point. Whether that person's left your life or it's something that's just weighing on you so much that you have to get it out. How do we do that? Who do we share that with? Do we use names? Do we not? Do we talk to professionals? Do we not? Do we ask the person if it's okay if we talk to others about it? I have so many questions about this that I don't know the answer to, and I I ask you to talk to other people about this, and please write to me with your thoughts on this. I'd love to have a conversation with you and seek a deeper meaning about this because it's a question that I honestly have. How, how do we share these shared memories when we feel that we must? So that's going to wrap it up for today. Please remember, not being somewhere physically can be good or bad for your reasoning. Not being somewhere mentally can be good or bad for your reasoning. Share with people that reasoning. If you need help with something, let them help you. If you're absent for a negative reason, seek help. Share with others. Be honest about it. If you're absent for a good reason, be honest about it. Share the joy. Share happiness with people. No one's going to turn you away for that. I can guarantee you, if someone cares about you with honest, with honesty, with severity, if someone really cares about you, they'll never turn you away for sharing. Thank you all. And thanks for putting up my cat meowing at the end of this. <laughs> Hi, it's Luke. I would like to apologize for this episode seeming a bit disorganized. It really was. I just didn't have a lot of time to get it recorded, but I want to get an episode out for you guys, so I hope that you can understand. And if you have any questions about the episode at all, please feel free to send me an email. Thank you so much. This has been To Taste the Smell of Blue by Luke Lindquist. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at totastethesmelloflue at gmail.com. Again, that's to taste the smell of blue, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. I hope you've learned something today. Thank you so much for listening.